0: what's up everybody it's your girl your auntie your favorite singer songwriter your favorite political commentator your crazy cousin from the country music truth and you're listening to Episode 8 of Truth 101, Our World Through Chocolate Lenses, the show where we dive into any and everything until we get to the bottom of it. Where we get to the bottom of everything from politics and pop culture to why people with big arms make the best grits. Hello, everyone. I am back from the summer vacation that I never told you I was taking and didn't know I was taking myself, but I'm here. And today I'm actually recording a show I didn't intend to record. However, you know, we strive to be both relevant and real. So um, rather than discuss the light and laughable topic I'd originally chosen for us on today, I have to pause and uh, talk about something that's very real. So today's question is, what's keeping America from being great? Great. I specifically left out the word again because the word again implies that there's repetition of a specific behavior or something was lost and needs to be found again. Although we've had many moments of greatness, I do not believe we have ever sustained that greatness for all Americans for any period of time. You see, throughout history, there's always a segment of the population that's left out. Take voting, for instance. White men who owned property uh, were able to vote as early as 1789 in the election of President George Washington. Black men later got that uh, same right in 1869, um, nearly 100 years later. But there were great barriers to exercising that for them. Uh, The 15th Amendment is what granted this, and that was in 1869, around 1870 when it was ratified. This is a Reconstructional Amendment. And it granted citizenship rights after the war to African Americans, and it stated that voting rights could not discriminate by race. In the South, however, the interpretation was so narrow that it ushered in the beginning of Jim Crow laws to keep us from voting, and that's you know impossible literacy tests like how many bubbles are on this bar of soap, uh, how many marbles are in this jar. And, and poll taxes. Um, and this wasn't all that long ago uh, when Jim Crow was happening uh, and our parents and grandparents experienced it. Um, and of course, this was a reactionary response to that Civil Rights Act of 1866, which uh, again, defined citizenship. It was the 19th Amendment that gave white women the right to vote and then later on, we did the 26th Amendment, which allowed for people who were 18 or older to vote. It ended age discrimination around voting. It took amendments to the Constitution in order to address these things. So rewinding back to the 19th Amendment uh, for granting women, uh, white women, the right to vote um, this was around 1919-1920 ratification. Um, However, women of color, despite the efforts of Sojourner Truth, Ida B. Wells, Mary McLeod Bethune, black women, those those suffrage uh, uh, leaders in our community, black women didn't get the right to vote without barrier until nearly 50 years later when the uh, Voting Rights Act of 1965 was passed. Native Americans and Mexican Americans, they didn't get the right to vote until the 1940s and 50s and you better believe they weren't serving on juries either. And God forbid you faced uh, a jury for an alleged crime without a true quorum of uh, your peers in sight. That's frightening. And we could have another show about uh, the inherent discrimination and in jury selection. But it doesn't stop there. Of course, we know voting rights aren't the only measure of greatness. It isn't the only litmus test for uh, thriving democracies. We had trouble in the United States, determining who was human for hundreds of years. Um, who was human? We didn't, we couldn't figure that out. We didn't, uh, even determine that black people were to be considered citizens until 1869, but we'd been here since 1619. Um, and we didn't decide that until post-Civil War, you know, getting rid of that three-fifths compromise, having a person of of color count as three-fifths of a person. We had trouble determining who could own property. Who could own their own body with the Tuskegee experiments and eugenics and forced sterilizations all the way in the 70s? Abortion rights, that's a fight that continues today. So, was America great for Japanese Americans born right here on our soil during World War II when we locked them away in internment camps and separated them from their families and stripped them of their property? I'd argue that it wasn't that great for that group of Americans. Not then. Or when, despite all of the hard work in exchange for low wages for decades, by the 1870s, Chinese Americans were targeted and massacred over on the Pacific coast as the economic crisis made other Americans feel insecure. Fear. Through fear, we get the Chinese Exclusion Act, which banned more Chinese immigrants from coming over but also denied citizenship and land ownership to folks already here. Chinese Americans, again, uh, over down in the Delta, arriving in the Mississippi Delta, they partook in sharecropping and were also banned from attending all white schools. In the uh, the case, Lum versus Rice, that's a 1927 case which upheld Plessy versus Ferguson. Uh, You all might be familiar with the, the phrase separate but equal. It came out of the Plessy versus Ferguson case. And the Lum versus Rice case said it applies to y'all too, Chinese Americans. Um, And the argument was, hey, you have a separate school available to you and it's accepting brown people. And I quote, brown, yellow and black people uh, can go to that school, end quote. Therefore, it's an equal establishment. You have uh, something available to you and you should go. However, you know, by the 1960s, uh, uh, Chinese Americans were attending white universities and schools. But still, they went through that as well. It's important to note that history has shown us that there are various times throughout our history in America where we simply weren't that great for everyone. If we really take a hard look, the forefathers never intended for the Constitution to be stretched and as inclusive as it is today. However, the preamble is an example of a foundational tenet that our country should always strive to evolve our standards of decency and do better. Now, you all remember the preamble. We used to have to recite it um, at the beginning of class and the allegiance to the flag. um, Preamble, you know, we the people in order to form a more perfect union, was this idea that we want to continue to strive for greatness. So this leads me to the thrust of today's topic, and that's concerning what's keeping America from being great. So following an FBI warning that the highest uh, domestic threat to national security right now is white supremacy. um, That is a uh, title from an article written by Vanity Fair. Just this past weekend, we had a mass shooting in El Paso, Texas, killing 20 plus individuals just shopping at Walmart, minding their own business. This shooting was racially motivated. It was confirmed by the manifesto left by the shooter. And the incident was carried out by an AK-47 assault rifle. Sunday morning, we await to the news of nine killed and 20-plus wounded in another mass shooting less than 24 hours later in Dayton, Ohio, the home of Funk. An assault weapon with high capacity magazines was used in this case, and it's been determined that this was a racially motivated crime as well. And if we keep rolling back the tape on over the past 216 days or so, we've had a total of 251 mass shootings here in the United States, according to USA Today. And if you keep rolling that tape back, we've had 1042 mass shootings since Sandy Hook in 2012 according to Vox, with the response for each being the rendering of thoughts and prayers as we go back to our regularly scheduled programs of thoughtless, desensitized, and detached dealings with each other as humans. Call it what it is. I'll say it. White supremacy is the root of what is keeping America from being great. White supremacy by definition, and I quote, is the belief that white people are superior to those of all other races, especially the black race, and should therefore dominate society, end quote. That's the book definition. That's the dictionary definition of white supremacy. It's a problem. Domestic terrorism is the greatest threat to my personal safety as an American of color and an even greater threat to national security. And yet our president remains silent on acknowledging numerous racially motivated shootings that have taken place just in the past 3 years alone but the issue of assault rifles in the hands of white supremacists has been a long-standing issue the cleveland elementary school shooting took place in stockton california in 1989 killing 5 and injuring over 30 others children the majority of whom were of chinese and vietnamese descent patrick purdy He used an AK-47 to shoot these children on the playground. His run-ins with police were noted as him directing hatred toward Asian immigrants. In his early 20s, at one point he was stopped for shooting at trees and was carrying a copy of the Aryan Nations at the same time under his arm. Two years later, he committed the shooting. Timothy McVeigh. This is the one I remember most because I was a kid. The Oklahoma City Bomber was a domestic terrorist. He had a history of being reprimanded while in the military for protesting black servicemen. In 1988, he attended a KKK rally and wore a white power t-shirt to protest black servicemen. McVeigh was honorably discharged in 1991, and by 1995, he'd blown up a building, killing 168 people and injuring over 650. We have more recent examples for sure. On June 17th, 2015, Dylan Roof, a self-proclaimed white supremacist, opened fire during a Bible study in the historic Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, killing nine people. And that one hit close to home because I remember going to college with individuals uh, from Charleston who, at least by a degree of separation or personally knew someone involved or touched by that shooting. Saturday, April 2019, John Ernest, he walked into a Jewish synagogue and opened fire with an assault weapon, killing one and wounding several others. The month prior, he'd allegedly committed an act of arson on a nearby mosque in San Diego. The list goes on and on. The narrative didn't end with the Wilmington massacre of 1898. We'll do an entire show on that one day if we can. The Birmingham church bombings of 1963, killing four little black girls in their place of worship. This narrative has continued and gotten more potent and more powerful. With every advance toward creating a more perfect union for all, there seems to be a direct reaction to what many believe is a fear of encroachment and change to status quo. And we all know that fear is the root of some of the most terrible atrocities, we know what fear can do in the absence of fact and in the presence of human desensitization. It's a dangerous combination, especially when paired with the powerful agents of nationalism and symbolism. These are all ingredients with the power to do both good and evil. Imagine if we allowed fear of loss of values, in essence, to push us into actually addressing these issues and really making America great for all. Imagine if we harness the fear of raising children in the world, what we were uh, more fearful of what they'll encounter when they leave home. Imagine if we harnessed that fear of yet another mass shooting and actually put forth legislation to ban assault rightful ownership. We did it once in 1996 under the Clinton administration. Mass killings reduced tremendously. The statistics are there. The provision wasn't renewed in 2004. It expired. Here we are. Although many of the changes in this country were not always motivated by morals, many were motivated by interest and money. We know this. But it behooves us to take a look at the interested parties, special interest groups and lobbies that win when we choose to send thoughts and prayers rather than movers and shakers to Capitol Hill. Who took money from the NRA during their campaign? Much of the argument against gun control has been fueled by lack of information, poorly curated sound bites, mincing of words and the ultimate causing of confusion. What does the Second Amendment actually say and how does banning assault rifles stop you from protecting yourself and home? So who stands to win when citizens are distrusting of one another and hate the other person because of their skin and there's mass confusion and overall pandemonium? Follow the money. Follow the interest. Someone is benefiting from all of this discord. My point here is that there have been moments in our history where we decided that things weren't that great and we wanted to change it. We stretched, we amended, we drafted policies to fix it. We didn't just sit and become passive and send thoughts and prayers in place of action. The part of making America great for all involves staring our issues right in the eye, Acknowledging the past, implementing restorative justice, and putting laws on the books that get intentional about stopping the problem. If you want to make America great for all, you have to call white supremacy what it is and actively work to stop the bleeding and implement common sense gun control laws and ban assault rifles and then do the work of healing. That's the part that we miss throughout history. We never go back to redress. We never go back to heal. We never go back to learn. That's the truth about what's keeping America from being great. And with that, I bid you adieu. Peace, babies. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us and we'll be back where we'll toss around another point of interest and get to the bottom of it as best we can. Please send me your questions. You can inbox me on facebook.com slash that's M U S I Q truth, all one word. Or musictruth.com. Or just DM me on social media. Or just Google Music Truth. You can find me there.